Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1. Three weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, Christ is All. And because that's true, we need to understand everything possible about our relationship with Christ. And so to do that, I've been preaching a a new series of messages about the various prepositions that are found in the Bible that are connected with Christ. We, we talked about uh, through Christ. And last week I preached about the subject on Christ. And today we're going to be speaking about in Christ. And there's no better, no better section of Scripture than Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read the first four verses to begin with. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The phrase, in Christ, just might be the most interesting statement to be found in all of the Bible. Someone has calculated the times that that phrase or the equivalent of it is used, and we find it over 160 times in the New Testament. And if you'll notice in the first 13 verses of this chapter, Ephesians 1, we find that phrase used 12 times in those 13 verses. This very well could be the best description possible for a Christian. In fact, when we think about describing a Christian, and by the way, the word Christian is used only three times in the entire Bible. But we think about the Christian as being a believer. We think about the Christian being a disciple. We think about the Christian being one who is forgiven. But more often than any other reference, we find the Christian being described in the Bible by this phrase, in Christ. But to really appreciate it, we have to really understand exactly what it means by that. It does not mean that we are in Christ in the same sense that we talk about being in the building. We're in this building this morning, but that's not the sense. This has to do with our identification with Christ. You see, salvation is more than a creed that we believe, or it's more than a lifestyle that we try to live. It's a vital union with Jesus Christ. That sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions of the world. 
whether it's Buddha, Confucius, or Mohammed, none of them ever gave the promise of having a union with their followers. And so it's only Christianity provides a personal and a permanent union with its founder. That ought to get our attention. This describes our personal, permanent position and the sphere in which we exist. It defines our our eternal spiritual location where, as, as we're told over in Acts chapter 17, that we live, move, and have our being. So you can call this our spiritual atmosphere, our spiritual union with Christ. It is our new identity. So that's what it means. But I want you to understand the result of us being in Christ. And believe me, we could spend the next two or three hours and still not cover everything to be said about this. But when I think about being in Christ and what that means to me and what it means to you, there are three things that stand out. First of all, it means that I have a new father. I have a new father by virtue of being in Christ. Contrary to what a lot of folks believe, God is not the father of all people, all mankind. Now, he's the creator of all of mankind. In that sense, you can say God is the father, the creator of mankind, but he's not the father of all in the sense that there is a union, that in the sense that there is a relationship with him. That doesn't exist. Christ himself said to the unbelievers, ye are of your father, the devil. That Boy, that would be blunt preaching, amen? But it's, it's, it, he was being honest. He was being truthful. And he wanted them to understand the position that they were in without him. Ye are of your father the devil. In Matthew chapter 13, the unsaved are called the children of the wicked one. And then later in 1 John chapter 3, they're referred to as the children of of the devil. Now listen, that's true of every single unsaved person. That's true of you Christians back before you became a Christian. Before you were ever saved, you were a child of the devil. Jesus said, ye are the child of the devil, of your father, and the deeds of your father ye will do. He was a liar from the beginning. He said, you'll do the, exactly the same thing. And so that's why we see the world in the mess that it's in, and that's simply because of Satan's power over those that he is controlling. But when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God becomes our Father. Notice what he said in verse 2 of Ephesians 1. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. So the moment that we get saved, our status changes, and that changes our state. By that, I simply mean, and I'll let Paul do the explaining here, when I talk about our status and our state being changed, he says that we, verse 3, that we are blessed. Verse 4, he says we're chosen. Verse 5, he says we are predestinated. Verse 6 says we are accepted. Verse 7 says we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Verse 11 says we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13 says we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Wow, that's quite a change, amen? 
to one minute having Satan as your father, to the next minute that God is your father, and as a result of that, you're in a different state, and now all of these things become yours. Because you are in Christ, all of these factors influence every area of your life. In Christ, that recognizes the source of our life. He is our life in Christ. It removes the sin from our record being in Christ. I love that old song says the record is clear today for he washed my sins away. The old account was settled long ago. Being in Christ removes my sin. It recognizes the source of life. It regards the sphere of life in which I live. And it reveals the the strength of our life, the possibilities. As Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And it provides the, the reassurance that we desperately need about our needs being supplied. But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. I'm so glad that I have a new father. Amen. What about you this morning? What, what, who is your father this morning? Now, it's not what you think about it. It's what God says about it that really matters. Maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I, my, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I... I you know, I'm a pretty good person. I, 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 I certainly, you know, I don't oppose God. Well, have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ yet as your Savior? Well, I haven't done that. Well, then you're living in rebellion against God because God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. So many times we talk about the great invitation to salvation. And, and isn't that wonderful to think that a holy God would invite those of us that are vile and sinful, that he would invite us to partake of salvation. It's an invitation, but it's more than that. It is a command. And when we fail to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're living in rebellion against God. But the very moment, I'm glad God didn't say that you've got to climb the highest mountain. You know, you've got to swim the widest sea. He said, just simply, if you believe. And anyone can do that, by the way. And I did. In the moment, I did. I walked out of the Community Baptist Church that Sunday morning, and I had a new father. God was my father. But not only did I have a new father, I had a new family. Being in Christ gives you a new father. That makes you a part of a new family because when God becomes our father all of his children becomes our family and Paul deals with that quite extensively later on in chapter 2 and again in chapter number 3 so as believers being in Christ we're all related one to another now here's the problem some of us you know we all start out as babes in Christ No one gets saved and is in a mature spiritual sense. So some of us, some in God's family, as Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, ye are babes in Christ. Now notice they're in Christ. They're as saved as they'll ever be. They're going to heaven when they die. Nothing's going to change that. But he says, you're babes in Christ. He says, I can't give you the strong meat of the word. I've just got to give you the milk of the word. You're not able to bear it right now. 
It's important for us to understand that because we are all at different levels of spiritual maturity, but we're all family. We're bound together by an invisible, unbreakable bond. We're family nevertheless. Some are stronger than others. But we ought to love one another with such a love that we, that we don't give up on each other just because somebody fails. So many times we see and, and we think about the age that we're living in. The Bible says, speaking of the unsaved world, that they will be without natural affection. I've absolutely never seen anything like it in my life, how family members can treat other family members like like they're dirt. It's horrible. It's terrible. I, 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 I just can't imagine a child being raised in that kind of an environment. But sometimes we Christians spiritually treat one another exactly the same way. You mark it down. When someone makes a profession of faith, it's only a matter of time until to some extent they fail and they fall. They might not go back to their old ways, but that doesn't mean they're going to live in perfection either. And we need to understand that we're bound together as a family. This is something that Paul did not take lightly. In the first 16 verses, as he closes out Romans, the last chapter, the first 16 verses, Paul mentions 27 different people by name. And the most common designation that he uses when he makes reference to them is in Christ. My brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, and he gives their name. It was important. And remember, the Holy Spirit is the one that's directing Paul. And it's as though he's saying, Paul, don't you dare end this letter without making mention of these people. Think about how those folks must have felt later on whenever they for the first time began to read the Word of God or, or to hear the Word of God read to them. This is Paul's letter, it says, to the Romans, you know, and here the church is assembled and they're reading that. And whenever it gets over there to that point and Paul says, and blessed be my faithful brother in Christ, so-and-so. And they hear their name. God included them. And that ought to matter to us. That ought to make our relationship with each other of great importance. Amen. Over and over again, some 40 times, Paul uses a phrase, one another, regarding how we relate to each other. Some years ago, I preached an entire series of messages going through all of those instances, and he says we're to love one another. We're to serve one another. We're to submit to one another. We're to encourage one another, admonish one another. We're to bear with one another and to bear one another's burdens. We're to be the same mind with one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, and the list just keeps going on. It's crucial for a church to put into practice those commands related to one another. If you're a part of God's family... You not only have a glorious privilege, a part of God's family, but you have a great responsibility also. Paul said in Galatians chapter number 6, he says, We're to do good on, unto all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. Amen. There are going to be some folks that 
not going to have all of their ducks in a row when it comes to what the doctrines that they believe. They believe the right thing about Jesus Christ. They believe the right thing about salvation. But they can get really mixed up about a lot of other things. And we've got to be careful that we don't become so offensive toward them that we build barriers instead of bridges and do harm to the cause of Christ. You have a new family if you're a child of God. What do you think about those folks that have no concern for their family? Maybe you heard on the news about this fellow that, that had got frustrated with this little child and literally beat the child to death. I think it was two years old or something. How, how horrible, how terrible it is to think that someone would do that to a child. How do you feel about people, the deadbeat dads and the unfaithful wives and the people that have no concern about their family, no concern about their children? You don't like it, do you? How do you suppose God feels about those who have no concern about His family? It just amazes me that people can profess to be a Christian and then not care whether or not they even attend church. They don't even care about being with God's people. They're so caught up in the things of the world that, and so distracted that they don't have time for the people of God. Listen, that's not something God takes lightly. You don't become a Christian by attending church. But if you've been saved, every Christian ought to be a faithful member of a Bible-believing church. You're a part of a new family, and what you do matters to the entire family, and it matters to your Heavenly Father. We're to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What? Thy will be done. And a part of his will is this, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We have a new father. We have a new family. But more than that, or in addition to that, we have a new future. How would you like to have a brand new, better future? I'm not talking about eternity. I'll get to that in a little while. I'm talking about a better future right now in your life. I'm talking about, you know, the, the best life that you could possibly have. Now, you, you, you can't change the past. I know you, all of us look back on our past and think about the life that we lived and we're filled with regret and it breaks our heart and we wonder how could I be so foolish as to do something like that. We all have those moments where we where we do that. But we can't do anything about changing the past, but we can do something to secure for ourselves a better future. There's healing for the past. Our sins have been forgiven. Thank God for that. But there's help for the present. Justification gives us a new status in Christ. And more than that, it gives us a brand new life. The Bible tells us that, that by virtue of being in Christ, that we become a new creature. Uh, think about that old song that says, I'm not the man that I used to be. Boy, I'm so glad. I think about that song, and it talks about uh, Doug Oldham used to sing it, and he would talk about the fact that, 
he'd come home and his kids would run and hide behind the door because they were so frightened of their, of their daddy. And boy, it brought back so many memories in my life where I'd come staggering in after a drunk. But boy, whenever the Lord saves you, he gives your kids a new daddy, your wife a new husband, the world a new person. And, and, and look, look at verse 13 because Paul explains how this is possible. The moment we receive Christ, I want you to notice what happens. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Notice he says, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I feel sorry for these folks that have the idea that you get saved, but you don't, you don't get the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. I mean, if the Spirit of God's not living in you, you've never been born again. The moment you get saved, God takes up residence within you. And Jesus called him the comforter. That, the Greek word is the word paraclete. It means one who is called alongside of to help. He's the one that transforms our lives. I hope you'll be back tonight because we're going to talk about that very thing. He is the change agent or the agent of change in our lives. And the degree of the change that takes place is determined by the quality of our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in John chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he, he, he warns us and tells us there that without him we can do nothing except we abide in him. It's in, in that relationship, that fellowship, that intimate relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, drawing our spiritual nourishment and direction for life from him. It's in that that we are able to live successfully in this world. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The paraclete who helps us through life. But notice, there's more to it than that. We look back on the past and we, we see, that, see that God provides healing. And he gives us help for the present. But he also gives us hope for the future. Look back in verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now here it is. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen. Wow, I... I I don't even have words adequate to explain all that that means. In chapter 2 there in verse 12, Paul tells us that the sinner is without hope. They're without God and without hope in this world. But the moment you accept Jesus Christ, you have a hope for the future. And that hope, that hope that has been explained to you here, 
tells us that we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means what he has, we'll have. Amen. Amen. He is our, the old timers used to speak of Christ as our elder brother. And that's a good phrase, by the way. We think of him being a joint heir. He is our elder brother, and we're going to join in the inheritance. And thank God we have the assurance of this. We don't have to wonder about whether we're going to heaven or not because the Holy Spirit assures us the Spirit of God bears witness with us that we are the children of God. And he assures us. In fact, the word that Paul uses is a word that means to guarantee He gives us the guarantee of our future inheritance. He is, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is our guarantee, our assurance that we're not going to lose out on this deal. So this morning, where are you? Where are you? If you're out of Christ, the Bible says you're alienated from God. It says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. It says you're in a state of enmity against God. That, that, that there's the guilt record against you. You're in a state of sorrow, doubt, despair. But in Christ, instead of being alienated from God, you are reconciled to God. Instead of death, there is life. Instead of enmity with God, there is the peace of God. Instead of guilt, there's forgiveness. Instead of sorrow, there's joy. And it goes on and on and on. Think about, where are you this morning? If you're not in Christ, You're out of place in this world because it was God's intent from the very beginning when he first created man. He says, I have created him for my glory. And the only way for us to to be a part of that great day whenever we stand before God in glorified bodies and we glorify the one who gave heaven's very best for us and our sins, the only way that can happen is for you to be in Christ. Jesus, are you in Christ? I hope so. If not, you can do something about that this morning. We're going to give you that opportunity, and we just beg and we pray this morning that you don't walk out that door without knowing that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've been saved for years, you don't have any doubt about that, but it just might be. It might be that you haven't really taken the time to stop and think about the wonderful privilege you have of being in Christ. You have a new father. You have a new family now. You have a new future. And the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's stand together, Father. Again, we come before your throne realizing that as much as we want to see souls saved, as much as we want to see lives changed, As much as we want to see good things happen, Lord, we're just like helpless little children. Our hands are tied and we're totally unable to produce anything of spiritual value. We just pray this morning that you might have your will in each and every life here today. We pray you'll speak to hearts that you'll some way that you'll blot out all of the negative things, that you'll remove all of the barriers Break down all of the hindrances today and that the Holy Spirit will have free course to work in the lives of people and accomplish your will that someone today who came to this service in their sins and they'll leave here in Christ. They'll never be the same. 
all because of what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. Save that soul that's nearest hell and glorify yourself today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing the 